everyone. Thanks so much for joining me for this week's episode of When I Grow Up. On today's episode, it is my pleasure to welcome Jenny Cho. Hi, Jenny. How are you? Hi. Thank you, Blair, for having me. It's great. <laughs> oh, no. It is my pleasure. And actually, just so that everyone knows, it is Dr. Jenny, but she has been so kind to just and ask me to refer to her as just Jenny. And um, I just feel like already like a... You just want to break those barriers between us, right? <laughs> of like, yeah, let's get rid titles. of any unnecessary boundaries. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um, all that to say, Jenny is here uh, because she is a pastoral counselor. And um, I honestly don't know what that title really means, uh, but I'm excited to hear more about what she does, what her day-to-day is, and I'm just here about how she came into counseling in itself. And... Um, Actually, Jenny, we have had a um, marriage and family therapist on before, but I I would assume that is different. Is that right? It is different. Okay. Um, So the difference between a marriage family therapist and what I do is basically I bring in psychology with theology. So I'm bringing a lot about the spiritual life of each client that I see. And so some of the training is similar. I've also had psychological theories and marriage and family therapy background as well. But my degree also included a whole lot of theology. Mm, Okay. (laughs) Uh Okay. So this is interesting to me. So um, for one, I didn't even know like pastoral counseling Mm -hmm. was an actual type of counseling. Yeah, it's not as common. Absolutely not. Um, A lot of the people that go through the same training as me also end up licensed as a marriage and family therapist. Mm -hmm. So there's some overlaps. Mm -hmm. I see. I see. So could you tell me a little bit more about you said you had a lot of uh, theology background too. Mm -hmm. So how does that incorporate like like, you know, are you saying like you were trained as like like you a pastor would be trained mm-hmm, or? Mm-hmm. Okay. I went to seminary. So I went to Princeton Theological Seminary, got my MDiv, and I was actually a children's pastor for 14 years. Oh, no kidding. <laughs> okay, so we're going to have to talk. I'm a children's pastor currently. Oh, great. And I'm like, 14 years? That's crazy. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yes. Uh-huh. It's a long and- time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so after that, then what mm-hmm. happened? I wanted to do more than just be a pastor mm-hmm. because what I realized was even in children's ministry, but also in families that I was taking care of and serving, I saw a lot of generational divide and strife and trauma and pain, and they didn't know how to handle that. And I felt that my MDiv degree was not enough to help them. Mm. I didn't know what to do. I was just like, oh, let me pray for you, you know, Mm. and not to, you know, belittle prayer. Prayer is very important. Mm. But I wanted to know actual skills to help reconcile, help them grow together as a family. Um, And so then I went into chaplaincy for about two years because I wanted to learn more about spiritual care. But after that, I was in the emergency department for a while, and I realized, you know, I don't like the hospital setting. 
<laughs> there's a lot of death and trauma right, and I was in, right. uh, children's health care for a while and so it was really devastating to see children die and be ill and like this isn't for me <laughs> right because I would imagine like chaplaincy like you you're seeing people kind of in some I mean they see they request a chaplain I would ima- mm-hmm. imagine in their darkest times when mm-hmm. things get really tough and <laughs> man okay so it wasn't for you <laughs> it really wasn't I tried for two years I really dove into it but um, I felt my soul kind of struggling with all the trauma and pain that I saw and I realized as I um, gave care I wanted more of a long-term care relationship with the people that I was seeing and so then that kind of opened the door for counseling Mm. but I didn't want to go the regular secular counseling route and I wanted to go into a program that was very culturally sensitive because a lot of what my concerns were for Korean American communities anyway Mm. so yeah I wanted to go to a program that was open to that and I found a program at Emory that was a doctorate of theology for pastoral counseling oh wow oh that sounds good (laughs) I'll try that (laughs) yeah yeah um I want to ask you more about your experience Mm -hmm. at Emory um but before that I just to backtrack a little Mm -hmm. bit you were mentioning um you know this generational um gap and divide that that you were witnessing and um just to clarify were, were you at a Korean immigrant church at the time I think the gap that I noticed started with my dad and myself when oh. I was growing up as a teenager, right? Um, th- my father was also a pastor, mm-hmm. and so um, he was very first-gen mindset of obey me, <laughs> church is everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no room for other opinions. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was very silenced. And but I'm not a silent type. I'm <laughs> very much like, yeah, my opinions. I think you're wrong. My husband's yeah. like, why are you talking back to me? Why are you so rude? <laughs> but really, uh, when I recall those times in my life, I think there was a five year period where my dad and I just did not talk normally. Mm. It was all just like fighting or yelling and tensions. And I think that's not an uncommon story for a lot of people in the Asian American communities, you know, cultural barrier, language barrier, all those things. Mm. Um, But then when I entered into, yeah, working in a Korean immigrant church, I saw that play out so many times with the kids, with the youth group, with even college students, this inability to connect with our parents' generation because there is a, a block between just like emotionally not being able to feel heard and safe um, and a lot of just tension that we see in the family is being replicated in the church, right? Like the first right. generation leaders and the EM second gen leaders, there's always this kind of like conflict and mm. tension of how we do ministry. And I'm like, you know, this is a systemic problem. Mm. <laughs> it's not just a simple family by family. This is a general trend that's happening. Interesting. Yeah. I also found that it's not just the Korean American community, it's also in other Asian American communities as well, because of the immigrant story and cultural gaps between the generations. And so there's a lot of pain 
in our community, you know, um, that goes unaddressed, unhealed, and it comes out in very toxic ways sometimes. Mm. Yeah. And so that's kind of what led me to think about, you know, there's not a lot of people doing something about this. They mark and say, here's a problem, but there's no follow through. <laughs> like, what yeah. are gonna- no, that's interesting that mm-hmm. you say that because I feel like um, maybe some of us feel like we're doing something, but mm-hmm. we're just kind of uh doing quick fixes like just somebody that's been in ministry mm-hmm. for a long time i think um yeah like i mean a uh, christian word that is that you know i would use is discipleship right like this mm-hmm. discipleship relationship is supposed to be a long-term thing those kinds of healing processes are supposed to be happening if things are going mm-hmm. well and doing it right but i think what you just said yeah, I don't disagree with it because it is like, I think there's a lot of, we try to, like, we want to, or sorry, hurry, hurry <laughs> and fix it quickly. Um, but yeah, that's really, so you, yeah. but you found that this, I when you started the program, were uh-huh. you like, this is it or? Um, maybe it also helps to kind of go back and, talk about what made me think about joining the program a bit more. I moved to Atlanta about, I want to say 11 or 12 years ago. And that was around the time when there was a lot of shootings within the Korean American community. Um, There was like an entire family that was murdered by a family member inside a sauna somewhere. And then there were like pastor's wife shooting her husband and you know it was just like so tragic and violent um and it was a shock because it that kind of extreme events don't really happen much or we don't hear much about it in our community and I think the kind of heart I felt was just there are no resources for people like that um for families who are grieving or trying to understand what happened And I think going back to kind of the point you were making, when they do turn to community leaders, like pastors or other community leaders, they kind of want to put a bandaid on that, right? Like, oh yeah, yeah, let's kind of calm it down. Let's let's move forward. Let's not dwell on the pain. It's a very kind of, let's cover it up and move forward. And that's not to say all pastors, just in in general. (laughs) Absolutely. There are some really excellent pastors out there who are well-trained. But I guess I saw more pastors kind of not also know what to do in those kind of situations. They they didn't get adequate training for how to go into walking with people in severe mental distress Mm. or emotional kind of pain. Um, and so I wanted to learn more and see, okay, is there any way that I can help heal a community move forward? Not just by kind of covering it up, but going to the root of the issue. Mm-hmm. Um, do more deeper surgery rather than kind of, yeah, put a Band-Aid on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> that's awesome. Okay, well... Um, 
Oh, I wanted to be okay. Actually, no. Let's let's go into the program a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, um, you decided to uh, go to school at Emory for this mm-hmm. uh, counseling. Is it a degree? It is a degree. Okay. Um, unfortunately, they are canceling the degree. Oh my! <laughs> is it is it unpopular or? What? Um, apparently, it doesn't bring in a lot of money. For uh, I, <laughs> I think it's a financial decision. Let's be real here, one hundred percent. It's all about the money. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. So, but do you happen to know if there are other programs similar to this? Or? I think there are. Um, other doctorate programs that focus more on like practical theology, which means they don't do the clinical side of it, but they do more theory. Okay. And other okay. schools who offer like biblical counseling, let's say, or um, yeah, other ways like that. But I'm not sure if there is a degree that's exactly the same as what I went through. I see. <laughs> okay. So um, the program at Emory though, mm-hmm. specific to you, um, uh, what was it like? Like, how long is the program for you and stuff like that? Uh, it I, it took me five years to complete the doctorate program. And as soon as you enter into the program, you have to do two years of clinical practicum, which means you start seeing clients right away. I see. So they are partnered with a counseling center. And so you become a resident counselor in that center. And you get supervised, and it's kind of the same route as other therapists go through. Mm. Um, and at the same time, you also start taking classes that are also psychologically theory based, but also theology. So it's a it's a mix of um, secular theory for psychology as well as the theological part of it. Okay, mm-hmm. I see. And um, was it challenging for you? Like what was like, mm-hmm. yeah, did you, was there a point, maybe like during clinicals, did you enjoy it or? They threw us in the fire. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> so I met with other um, friends who went through like uh, a graduate program for counseling. Okay. The way they describe their journey is very much like we're taught how to like what questions to ask, what to follow up on. And they even have like mock kind of models of like practicing with one another. We didn't get any of that. (laughs) We were just put it. Here's your first client. And my first client, I have no background in counseling whatsoever. I mean, I have chaplaincy and, you know, being a pastor for a long time. But he walks in and the first thing he says is, I hate my wife. What do I do? Oh, no. <laughs> um, but I think they follow this model of learn as you Right. Um, so I felt really bad for my first few clients because I had no idea what I was doing. Um, but I learned very quickly. <laughs> right. Oh, my goodness. Uh-huh. Um, so like, and then, okay, as you're learning these mm-hmm. things, like, are there like classes that teach you how to Absolutely. do this? Or so we learn theory as we're doing it. So it becomes a very uh, theory and rubber meets the road kind of practice immediately. Yes, Mm -hmm. I feel like it's really like, actually, I kind of like that kind of learning, honestly. Uh Uh But it's very like, hand like hands on real (laughs) practice. Man, I wonder why they do it like that. 
Is I think just... people want you to kind of just immerse yourself in it mm-hmm. without feeling like I have to know something. It really forces you to confront your limitations <sighs> and ego like immediately. Oh, I am nothing. I know nothing. <laughs> Oh, it's very oh, good for that. <laughs> That's crazy. That's crazy. Okay, so like um after the two years of you said that the first two years you're doing mm-hmm. clinicals. Mm-hmm. And so after that, what is it that you guys focus on? After the two years of clinical, um we do a comprehensive exam. It's almost like the PhD. Okay. So after okay. two years of coursework and practicum, we have this huge exam proving that you can be a candidate to be uh, to have this degree to go on. I see. I so see. then it's like five huge pro- like uh, exams that you have to write essays all day for, and then after that you do your research study, mm-hmm. and then you write a dissertation. Mm-hmm. I see. And that okay. takes about two to three years. Mm, yeah. Okay. The dissertation itself takes two to three years? Well, it's, almost, <laughs> it's pretty much a book. So actually, I'm working on my dissertation to be published in a couple, a few months. And so it took me two and a half years to do the research and to write it. And so now I just, I'm just editing it. Oh, wow. <laughs> Can I yeah. ask what your dissertation is on? Yeah, it's on... So the title is Opening the Red Door, because my counseling practice is called Red Door Ministry. And the subtitle is Pastoral Counseling for Second Generation Korean Americans. So your your, um, practice, um, Mm -hmm. it is very specific then. Um, I also see clients who are not Korean Americans. Uh Uh-huh. But majority of them tend to be Asian Americans. I see. I see. Mm-hmm. So, and, and that's like uh-huh. on purpose for you. I think a lot of my clients come from word of mouth. Uh-huh. I don't necessarily market or, you know, try to look for clients. And sure. so they happen to be mostly Korean Americans okay. who kind of uh-huh, share with other Asian friends. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess that's probably god because i mean that's what the heart i mean that's the heart he gave you right yeah, to bring out these and you know um so but you so in your clinicals you weren't counseling just korean, korean mm-hmm. americans during actually that i time. never counseled korean americans uh-huh. i was counseling everyone yeah um, white people black people people from the latinx community everyone yeah uh-huh and just um, just out of like my own curiosity, mm-hmm. like, have you found that these wounds that or baggage that people carry are different throughout different cultures mm. or different ethnicities? I think there's a different way they are expressed. So a lot of the kind of themes, if I think about it, come from not feeling loved, not feeling good enough. Um, Confused as to what people expect of them. Um, Yeah, there's those things are pretty common it's a universal i think human need that 
um, points to our brokenness, right? Like we need love, we need to be heard, we need to feel empowered somehow. But because of circumstances or wounds, we're all broken. But it's the cultural kind of ways that that gets expressed is different. So I think it's kind of like if I can use a weird metaphor here. Um, we all like ice cream, but we all like different flavors of ice cream. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that okay. makes sense. Yeah, so, yeah. Like we all need something, but it because of our cultural differences, um, yeah, we prefer given through a strawberry flavor rather than uh, if someone gave us pistachio, we would reject it, right? Because it's still ice cream, but it's kind of, it doesn't fit well with my kind of circumstances and wants and desires. I say. see. Okay. No, that's a great, that's a great uh-huh. example. A great metaphor. I get mm-hmm. that. I love ice cream, <laughs> but I definitely don't like the same ice creams as other people. Yeah, I get it. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Okay. Yeah. That was just from my own personal <laughs> question. Oh, that's, that's a great question. Um, yeah. So, okay. Um, I, I usually ask this at the top of the interview, but I got so into what it is that you were saying. But I wanted to know, how, what is your day-to-day like, Jenny? Like, what does it look like for you as a pastoral counselor? I am really lucky in that I have a pretty free schedule. I am my own boss, which is great. So I wake up, I either go for a run, do some yoga, and then I eat something, and then I write or edit for a couple hours. Um, and then I start seeing clients afternoon time until evening time. And then I eat dinner and then I go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great. Um, <laughs> it is very nice to be yeah. your boss. <laughs> yeah. Um, so has that uh, schedule shifted or changed at all since COVID and the pandemic hit? It's... Um, hmm. I've gotten more clients for sure. I think the pandemic has raised more anxieties and certainties and fears. And so I now have more clients than I used to. And now it's a matter of me drawing some lines for my own self-care because Mm. it's unfortunate, but I can't see everyone that reaches out to me because I simply don't have the availability and the time. Yeah. And so it would also be unfair if I were to see like 10 clients a day, then each client, I would just be exhausted and just kind of like, "Uh uh-huh, sure, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Not to be fully present, you know, with all that I am trying to sit with. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. So like, usually how long are your client meetings? Um, So with each client, they decide whether they want to do a 15-minute session or an hour and a half. And each day I see between three to four clients. Okay. Um, those increments are kind of weird to me. 50 minutes or an hour and a half. Is there a purpose to that? Well, So traditionally, I think 50 minutes is the typical therapeutic hour. Oh. That's kind of what it is. Um, and what I mean by hour and a half, I also mean I'm actually meaning an hour and 20 minutes. So usually when counselors schedule people, they try to schedule them at the top of the hour, right? So eight, nine, 10. So the 10 minute buffer is for the counselor to kind of regroup, 
um, kind of um, process a few things, get ready for the next client, that kind of. Interesting. <laughs> that's like, that's like, I don't know. It's like a fun fact. I feel like <laughs> background information. Yeah. On <laughs> if you're thinking about being a counselor, um, uh-huh. no, but for sure. Um, okay. So, f- oh, what is the difference between a counselor and like a psychologist or is there? Uh, yeah. So I think people get confused between counselor, therapist, psychologist, psychiatrist. Yes, <laughs> like it I, all seems to be kind I, of all melting into one. Um, so psychiatrists need a uh, medical degree because they are able to prescribe medication. Okay. And they also do consultation or some type of counseling talk therapy. Um, psychologists are not able to prescribe medication. You know, what? I, I, that's what I think, but may things, things may have changed. But they focus more on a set psychological theorist that they're following and okay. it's very kind of um like there's a set kind of therapy that they follow like a model or a method and i think counselors or therapists they are very similar but they're more kind of relational focused and they also do follow some theory but I think this is where the confusion is, right? Uh, psychologists tend to go deeper into the psychology of it. Okay. <laughs> right? okay. That helps. Uh-huh. <laughs> Whereas I think counselors and therapists tend to be more, um, yeah, like trying to be more focused on the healing aspects. Or- I see what you're saying. Okay. So it's like the psychologist, <laughs> the psychology of it is what you mean is like, there are reasons behind how you're feeling, but mm-hmm. then the counselor or therapist maybe is trying to uh, not psychoanalyze to- it, but <laughs> oh, sorry, there's so sorry. many different um, sci- uh, therapists and, and psychologists who also are very kind of it overlaps. So it's so um, it's confusing for me too because I'm in the field, but to distinguish that clearly. I don't know if I have the right words to do it. It's okay. I understand that it's hard to articulate. But let, okay, then let me simplify it a little bit. So for you as a counselor, what is your goal? Like what what would be like what would make you feel I don't know, like do does counseling ever end for people? Like what how does that work? I think the framework I use personally is um I want people to be proactive agents in their life rather than be passive to the circumstances that they found themselves in Mm. Um, and so however I can help them get there um, however I can however long it takes for them to say it's useful for me to come see you Ginny as I am reclaiming, feeling more empowered, all of those things. So I've had clients who come for less than 10 sessions and their goal was to alleviate some of these symptoms of anxiety or depression. And as it goes away, they're like, okay, our goals are met. I'm like, great. Do you want to continue or not? I think we're good. Great. Go for it. Whenever you want to come back, I'm available. Mm. 
And I have other clients I've seen for six years, you know? Mm. And so it's kind of in those cases, I'm walking with them in the day-to-day, um, whatever the frequency that we need is, right? Like, so I touch in every two weeks or one month and they tell me what's going on in their lives and they need someone to process that with or feel like they need a different perspective on what's going on. Sure. So it really depends on what they are looking for. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, that makes a lot of sense, I guess. I, I guess in my head, you know, I just know what I see on TV, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, they're just like, until like, I mean, um, you're referring to uh, some, in, while, while you were in school, you guys learned different methods and stuff like that. I mean, is, is counseling a lot of listening? or is it a lot of talking during your sessions or one of my first supervision sessions with my supervisor when I you know was thrown in the fire with the yes. client, I came in and said I asked a lot of questions is that all I'm doing <laughs> is that all I'm supposed to be doing? and he looked at me straight in the eye and goes pretty much yes just keep asking just ask clarifying questions <laughs> oh, okay. um, but my way of doing it is a little different I don't know if it's the 14 years of being a pastor <laughs> sure yeah probably <laughs> but, like I do ask a lot of questions but I also realized the cultural difference between Asian Americans and other Americans that I sat with is that Asian Americans feel more comfortable with a slightly more directive counselor. Um, so they, so I have, you know, white clients who they just come in and spend the whole 50 minutes, they're leading the whole session. And I'm just like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then they would pause and be like, Ginny, what do you think about this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Or what's okay. your input? Okay. Whereas I think culturally, Asian Americans are raised to be more kind of silent or mm-hmm. um aware of what's going on Mm -hmm. and so sometimes I feel like I have to almost kind of draw it out of them a little Mm -hmm. bit more and this is a huge almost um, frowned upon method I think other counselors are taught but I use it anyway I use my own story sometimes Mm -hmm. to kind of say does this sound familiar to you? Like, is this the kind of experience you're trying to talk about? Um, and they're like, that's exactly what it is. Or they're like, definitely not. That is definitely yeah. not what I'm talking about. <laughs> Whatever it is, it causes conversation, right? Like, yeah, it causes them yeah. to talk about it. And so I find myself sometimes talking a bit. But I always check in, like, am I talking too much? I can shut up now if you want. Right, right, right. <laughs> uh, yeah. Like, uh, yeah. <laughs> No, no, this is good. <laughs> so, oh yeah, um. no, yeah. I, um, I guess you know, I just was curious about that too, because, um, you know, I'm I'm wondering if there are people that are listening now to this podcast and thinking, is this something that I would be interested in? And I don't know if you mm. needed to be a good listener or a good talker or like, you know, um, some of those traits of some mm. one's own personality. I think listening is definitely key, um, but how do we use the listening to join in with the other person? Mm-hmm. And how did I help them feel that I am with them and that they can trust me? Mm-hmm. So whatever that involves, yeah, um, whether that is the more 
listening in, checking in, or sharing a bit more than maybe other counselors might. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Oh gosh, because I, um, you know, just one somebody that has been in working in the ministry aspect mm-hmm. of church for quite, I guess, a, a little while now. Um, as you're talking, I'm like, this seems like something I would like. <laughs> pastoral counseling but but also very daunting because like you said a lot of writing and dissertation i'm like nah, i don't know about that. <laughs> actually there in georgia at least um if you have an mdiv degree uh-huh. you can use that as a base to get licensed as a family marriage therapist uh marriage and family therapist oh, and wow. so you just need to kind of go back to school and get some of those coursework done but that can serve as a base for you to kind of do that oh wow I didn't last know. time I checked yeah <laughs> but things always change <laughs> yeah oh wow that's cool mm-hmm. um Jenny if I could kind of if, if it's okay with you I I wanted to ask you some questions that um are kind of not relevant to what it is that you do, but Mm -hmm. I I feel like your perspective would be um, very insightful for those listening. And even, even for me, so it's kind of like my own excuse to ask you something as a, Mm -hmm. as a counselor. But um, yeah, I mean like, you know, just a couple days ago, there Mm -hmm. was a, a big shooting in Atlanta and Asian Americans were, or Asian women were targeted in this shooting. And, um, I don't, I actually, so I'm, I'm an external processor mm-hmm. by nature and, um, the last couple of days have been interesting for myself, right? Just kind of working through this and, um, uh, seeing how I feel about it. My, my background and story growing up is, is a lot different than a lot of other immigrant, um, families, um, only because my parents immigrated here in middle school. So mm-hmm. I actually grew up. Mm-hmm. Um, in a, we spoke English at home mm-hmm. and, you know, that was my background. So it's a little bit different, I think, than everybody else's that are a lot of people that I know. Anyways, all that to say, I was kind of, even before, actually right before talking to you this evening, um, I was processing some things about, uh, what has happened and what mm-hmm. is happening to our community, oh, yeah. um, with my husband and, mm-hmm. Yeah, there were some disagreements, actually, Mm -hmm. even just between us. And Mm -hmm. um, it's hard for me, honestly, to articulate everything right now um, in a way that I feel like would be cohesive. (laughs) Um, It's only been a couple of days. Yeah, yeah, but however, I just am curious, like, to know... How you feel about the response that is being being seen um, through social mm-hmm. media and people's mm-hmm. like reaction to it? Hmm. I think I'm in the space of still processing the shock mm-hmm. of what happened. Um, anytime a tragedy of this what happens my heart and soul kind of reels from the evil of it mm-hmm. um the death that comes from such hate um 
and being targeted for our whether it's race or gender or both right mm-hmm. like it's such a I don't know I feel that as an evil thing like that's dehumanizing completely uh, mm-hmm. that we're no longer people we are objects of some mm-hmm. sort and that has always bothered um, me about racism and sexism in general. But in this particular incident, I was shocked to see how even just the the police responded about, you know, kind of humanizing the shooter as, Mm. oh, it was a hard time for him and he was having a bad day. Mm. And I'm thinking, why are we not hearing about who these human beings were who were killed? They're having a bad day. Like their Mm. family's definitely having a bad day. You know, like it's such a... um, deep-rooted problem in American mm-hmm. society to um, paint the other in a very flat, stereotypical way. And that can be very dangerous. I mean, deadly, really, if we're talking about in those terms. And so um, I think it's time, it has been time for the Asian American community to speak out more. I think back to my point of we are kind of raised to be more silent, right? Like we're not really given a lot of opportunities, even at home to speak out, right? Like we grew up in a very Confucius kind of like, you know, weigh your elders and respect them. So our opinions are not as valued sometimes. But I think now we can't afford to stay silent anymore, right? Like so what is happening is this kind of um we're people too right? like yeah. see us as human beings um and that's the demand of it um earlier today i was talking to my sister about this and my sister was really upset because she belongs to like a mom's group she's all the way out in california but still you know she's saying to her group like could this organization put out a statement, right? To say like, we support our Asian American um, sisters in this. And because her group has a lot of Asian women in it, she said, I think this organization needs to speak out somehow. Mm-hmm. But when she reached out to the leaders of that organization, they didn't, they were silent for like five hours. <laughs> they didn't get back to her. And the anger my sister felt, like, how do you not say I'm traumatized here? Like, this is serious stuff that we need to address. And it would help to feel at least supported, seen, heard that this is happening and that we have to be more almost hyper vigilant in being aware of the dangers of being an Asian woman in this country, you know? And so she really, like, we had to really sit down and process that too. Yeah. Um, I think what it comes down to for me is people don't do the hard work of confronting their own biases. So even in our Asian American community, right? Um, I don't know if this is fair to say, but let's be real. Koreans are pretty racist. (laughs) No, yes. And you know, Uh I mean, again, like I, at the risk of... I, someone being upset about my my statements but like mm-hmm. full disclosure I was telling my husband right before we got mm-hmm. to chatting just now like I mean I would be hypocritical you know mm-hmm. in saying that I didn't have my own 
thoughts or stereotypes about other ethnicities as well, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyways, what were you going to say? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I think it is really hard work to confront our own biases. Yeah, right? yeah. And so for us to demand other people to do that for us when they see us, Almost feels like that's the wrong step to take, right? This first day. Interesting, <laughs> Jenny. Wow. Maybe it's okay. Controversial, but what I'm saying is, let's start with us, and then I mean, maybe it happens simultaneously, right? Like it has to happen simultaneously. I think that's that's the more correct way of saying this, right? Like, yes, let's demand others to see us as human beings as we also do the hard work because it is hard. Um, of seeing all other groups let's, as human beings, right? Um, yeah, it's we know the pains of what it's like to be stereotyped and flattened as a 2D person, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so when we know that pain, shouldn't that pain inform us then to do the work of what? how am I doing this to other people? Right. Um, but I don't think people make that connection. People make are kind of just reacting out of anger, right? Like, hey, see me as a person. But let's be authentic and real <laughs> in how we process that because we do the same. And so it's we're seeing kind of this heightened awareness of the racism and sexism in this country and especially with covid and you know the whole like hate crimes towards the asian american community and i think my heart breaks and it's yeah sometimes it's really hard for me to try to pick up the pieces and put it back together to come to a point of this is still my country and i love people here like that's hard mm-hmm. right but mm-hmm. But if we don't do that, then there's no hope, right? Like, um, it's light that has to drive out the darkness. It's love that has to cover up hate. Mm. But we're not even starting with our own selves. Like, we don't even love ourselves sometimes. So how, like, how can we make that love genuine? How can we make that love powerful and transformative when we don't know how to love well at all? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Clearly, I'm still very raw and not fully processing this. And maybe if you asked, if we had this interview like a week later, maybe I would be more coherent. No, no, no. <laughs> But what I see is also with the clients that come in too, it's bias is such an oppressive, evil thing. Mm. It's a very powerful thing that restricts how we live our lives as free people. And the biases particularly when it comes to seeing other people a certain way can be so destructive and deadly but we all have biases even any of the shoulds that we hold in our minds like i think i should be this or this is how things should be is even that is so restrictive right like it prevents us from growing and learning and changing yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I appreciate your transparency in that question. I know it came out of nowhere, but I just really <laughs> wanted to hear, I think, just from a pastoral counselor, honestly, like just mm-hmm. even like health, like being healthy about processing this, 
um, whole situation too, and not like just kind of suppressing yeah. how we're how we're feeling. Um, I just wanted mm-hmm. again wanted to just gain your um, perspective on it, and I and I my mind right now is like like blown because I'm like yes, like the, what you're talking about the biases and that have it having to happen simultaneously I feel like that's where I was trying to go when I was talking to my husband but like you were able to articulate that much better than I ever could <laughs> but um yeah that's that's interesting because I think I feel sometimes like everything happens so quickly and it's happening even quicker in the in the time that we're living in right like social media everything is just so fast and my brain is just taking in all of the things that are coming up on my feed you know and I feel almost like I have to feel a certain way without giving the chance to actually figure out how I'm really feeling does that make sense yeah so um, I think we get overwhelmed by overflux of data and opinions and and thoughts and we feel like we have to get on one train or the other um but as a i guess my perspective as a pastoral counselor what i see is just a lot of pain there's a lot of anger that's coming out but that's clearly coming also from a place of pain and hurt and i think as an entire country we don't know how to sit or deal with pain very well. Mm. We become very reactive or we try to hurt other people by saying, well, you hurt me, so I'm going to hurt you. Right? It's sure. a very kind of um, narrow-minded way of dealing with pain. And in fact, most people, myself included, absolutely, like we, I try my best to avoid pain if possible. Like why mm. would we run into the direction of hurt? You know, mm. like that, that doesn't make sense. Uh, I think if we let our pain inform us and change us and heal us, then it can be really transformative and good and lead to reconciliation and understanding and compassion. Because there's a lot of pain, not just because of this incident, but just look at our country, right? Like it's just full of pain. And people not dealing with pain cause them to turn to express it in very negative, harmful ways. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And so how can we learn how to sit with our own pain and help let it transform us into a more empowered person? Yeah. Okay. So what do you suggest would be like the first no because Mm -hmm. like not all of us can have the you know are able to meet with the pastoral counselor um someone Mm -hmm. that's trained like yourself um do you have any suggestions for like there's a lot of young people listening right now and do you have any like suggestions on how to even begin this process this process of of addressing the pain and being uh-huh. able to work through it and mm. come to a place where, uh-huh. yeah, like. I think it's important to distinguish between um, letting the pain inform you versus indulging the pain, if that makes sense. Okay. Right? Like, um, that makes sense, yes. 
Yeah, because a lot of people just kind of ignore pain or sweep things that are unpleasant under the rug, right? Mm-hmm. And like, we're not even dealing with it. And so when they hear mental health professionals say, let's feel some of this, some people tend to kind of overindulge in the feeling, right? That just goes saturate themselves in this, you know, and they kind of sometimes get lost in that. Um, but I think what I'm saying is, let's confront the pain. Let's kind of let the pain tell us the message of what that we need to hear, really. So for example, let's take this incident that had the shooting that happened a couple days ago. I felt pain in that, right? Oh, people who look like me and are my gender were targeted out of someone's hatred or discontent with like whatever it is, right? And so for me, that felt like, wow, I don't feel safe, right? Like I um, am not seen in the full complexity of who I am in the eyes of mainstream American society sometimes. And that's painful because I don't feel seen and heard as a person, but I am, as Asian women tend to be like hypersexualized or, you know, seen as objects of something. Mm-hmm. And as I sit in that pain, I realized, okay, what are the reasons why people might see it this way? Mm-hmm. And because of my education, all of this, like, I'm able to kind of pull together like, oh, past imperial colonialist thought, post-colonial, whatever, theory, all this stuff. But most people don't have access to that, right? Like they have to kind of sit in that feeling. I think it's really helpful to kind of remember what are my own experiences of having felt that. Mm. So one example that came to me as I was processing this pain is when I was in middle school and I was walking to the mall with another Korean American friend all these like cars that passed by were like, you know, jeering at us or, you know, like honking horns and like screaming racist things. And I'm like, wow, I remember that pain. Mm. So this is something I've lived with, you know, for the decades I've been living in this country. Mm. And so this isn't just a random new thing. This is a push in the button of what's always been there, right? Like the microaggressions I felt, the side comments that of racism that were thrown my way in my interactions with other people. And to give it value, right? Like that did suck and that was painful. Mm. What kind of response do I want to have when that happens in the future. So the pain doesn't go unprocessed, right? Like if we don't process the pain and let's say I get another random racist comment, then I think it's easy to get really angry and be like, curse them out. But to kind of actually understand how I feel and how it leads me to almost sadness, right? Like I am sad that this is happening. Mm. Then to kind of, channel in my support system whether it's other people or my faith or even trusting my own self to say how do I comfort and soothe my own sadness and pain in this how can my community join me in this journey of painful realizations and the need for change how can I then maybe make 
I don't know, donations. Like, how can I change this into action, positive action? Like, donations to organizations that address this in a more uh, political level or, you know, like a a way to change the systemic racism and sexism that we are experiencing so that we feel more empowered to do something rather than sitting in the pain and reacting. We need to process it. Yeah. Wow, yeah. I mean, that is extremely powerful if every single person was able to do this right and process in that way I mean even myself I'm like okay like I need to do this today (laughs) a little more healthily I mean um and you know I'm gonna be just a little bit more about myself you know I think Mm -hmm. what comes to mind specifically is my own children right Mm -hmm. like as a mom is it, it has affected me I think even in a different way than um, maybe some of my friends that are single or not Mm -hmm. married, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's, um, you know, I think about my kids and I'm like, what do I need to do? Mm. You know, like, what do I do? And I, um, Mm. but yeah, I feel like what you just said and kind of laid out um, for me, I, in itself was very um, helpful Uh, to kind of put some action to how I'm feeling. I think most of us in our community, I could be wrong, so I don't want to generalize too much, but a lot of us (laughs) have never had the guidance of how to process our feelings. Um, It wasn't something that we learned in school. It's not priority in our homes most of the time. It's mostly... Um, how do I become successful, right? Or how do I support my parents later on? Or, you know, like, how do I decide on a career in the future? But our emotions are such a big part that can inform us and give us wisdom and clarity moving forward. But yeah, I don't think we had a lot of opportunities or resources to help us understand how to process it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. And so, especially, you know, having kids, how can we give our next generation the space and guidance for them to process their feelings in a much healthier way that yes. we never caught? Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, that's definitely how I've been feeling, you know, mm-hmm. like, yeah. what do I need to do differently? you know than my parents did and not to say they did anything wrong it's just they did the best they could they did the best they could Mm -hmm. and I just Mm -hmm. want to do the best that I can too you know Mm -hmm. in this um for this next generation and even in just the where I am at today you know as a person Mm -hmm. how I can be better in in that capacity for them as a mother and Mm um you know something interesting that you said was that no one we didn't uh, not not everyone just a lot of us didn't have didn't have that kind of space and you know i i feel as we're talking that you are you are creating that space for people and i'm curious are there a lot of korean american pastoral counselors like that you is there like a network of people like you or yeah i'm really sad to say no i'm very low field um the colleagues I do have are the people that went through the same doctor program as me, but a lot of them decided to use that degree not to focus on counseling, 
but remain as whether pastors at a church or um, they're not Korean Americans. So they are using those skills not for this community, right? Or in other areas. Mm. And so it's a um, yeah, very small field, I must say. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Well, uh, okay. So, um, so for someone listening right now, like, mm-hmm. and maybe they're think they're Korean American or Asian American, and they have interest maybe in what what it is that you do and what you're saying. Uh, do you mm-hmm. have any advice? for for Mm -hmm. them yeah i think it starts with your own journey so for me being in this program forced me almost and it didn't feel like it was forced but i was kind of thrust upon this journey of my own healing and formation And I think so much of what I do is a reflection of how I came out of that journey or still on that journey. Mm -hmm. And so people who are interested in kind of doing what I'm doing or even just being in some kind of any helping profession, right? And what it means to be real and bring change in their lives Mm -hmm. has to go on this journey yourself, right? Like go get some therapy or counseling or whatever, like do the work Mm -hmm. and see how you are transformed yourself. Mm -hmm. And then as you see that happening, there are a lot of programs you can use to be trained as a counselor, not necessarily a pastoral counselor, but um, that will give you the background for the theory and the skills that you need. But I think ultimately at the end of the day, it comes down to authenticity. You as the caregiver, counselor, if you're if you don't feel real to your clients, they're not gonna come back. (laughs) They want that human connection. And to know, have you gone through something like have you done the hard work yourself? I know a lot of counselors who absolutely like go through the program, get the degree, but some of them it almost, this is actually a, in my research, one of my clients said this. The other counselors I went to, they feel like they're just going through a checklist and they're asking me what my symptoms are. And then these are the interventions that they were taught to do. So the, it seems more rigid and it didn't fit her, right? Mm-hmm. For example. But if the counselor themselves have done that work themselves, they are honest with how they process their own feelings and relationships that shows I think yeah so yeah yeah you're given life let's make it count (laughs) um yeah yeah I mean that's I couldn't have said that better myself I um so Jenny uh can I ask so does that mean you yourself um go to a counselor too yeah um I went to see a therapist for about six years Mm -hmm. And after those six years, I um, decided that a spiritual director is a better choice as I move forward. So to be open to trying different things, right? So for those six years, my therapist was great. I really grew a lot, healed a lot, and made a lot of connection and insights on myself. 
then as I moved forward, she wasn't trained theologically. And mm-hmm. I felt like my faith side was kind of missing in the conversation. My relationship mm-hmm. with God and how I want to love people didn't really, yeah, there was not much room for that kind of conversation that mm-hmm. felt pro- like propelling and moving me forward. Mm-hmm. So I sought out a spiritual director. And so I've been seeing her for about nine years now so it kind of overlapped right and so um that's been great i see her regularly and she has seen me through the years of how i've changed and she celebrated with me cried with me and yeah it's been wonderful wow yeah i mean um you know i do feel and i'm sure you're not unaware of this um but there is you know a stigma i feel like that Mm. goes with counseling in the Asian American community. I can only speak to the Korean American community, honestly, um, just because I'm Korean American myself. Um, I have, you know, I I don't see a counselor, uh, but I am very much an advocate for it and mm-hmm. uh, can see the so many, actually only pros that come from it. Um, mm-hmm. Just the healing that you've been talking about through this this t- our, our time together but you know I uh, like I have found that when I suggest it to somebody like professional counseling mm-hmm. in my community like if they're just not ready mm-hmm. it just seems like they're not like it, there's no yeah you, do you get what I'm saying like there's no they're, if they're not ready to to hear it they don't hear it you know um so what like what is that they're just not they don't want help or they're just prideful Mm. or stubborn like do you (laughs) the way i see it is timing in Mm. their lives um i think we all have seasons of life and there will come a season i think where we feel that we don't have the resources to get us through this season. Um, Other seasons may be like, oh, I'm going to fall back on my familiar patterns of coping or survival, and it's not going to be horrible. Um, And so it may not be healthy necessarily, but it gets people by and gets people through those seasons. Mm -hmm. And so, sure, counseling can absolutely be helpful, but if they're not open to it and it's not the right time, then they're, it's not going to work for them. Yeah. But I think there comes a time where, whether it could, like, tragic events or an actual, like, a, a curiosity or openness of, I want to grow and change, but I don't know how to do that by myself. Yeah. And so it's recognizing what season people are in in their lives and if they are receptive to it. Um, and if they are receptive to it, then to kind of strike when the iron is hot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like right. that inkling, go for it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, um, before we end our time together, Jenny, I've truly enjoyed it. I've learned so much. And I myself already feel like I've been to therapy. <laughs> but um, I'm, I'm curious to know, um, I feel like, could you kind of... Uh, 
tell me what it is, maybe like one thing you really enjoy about what you do, and then maybe, or actually, let's start with one thing you don't enjoy, mm. like the challenging thing or something you just don't like about the job, and then maybe we can sum it up with uh, and conclude with the thing that you do yeah. like about your job. So the one thing I find challenging is constantly being faced with my limitations. Um, <laughs> realizing, oh, I don't have as much power or control over the lives of the people that I'm seeing. I am not the expert of their lives. They are. So no matter how many theories or what I think is wonderful insight that I throw at them, mm -hmm. they could be like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> that's not it that's not helpful um no but to be more serious I think it's about acknowledging my own humanness and mm. limits and that constantly comes with me confronting my pride and ego that we all have right um and so when I see a client that maybe is not working out I have to admit to myself I'm not the person to help them I need to refer them to someone who is more attuned and well, better matched with a better set of skills for this kind of person, right? Um, and so from coming from someone who's always kind of been uh, super productive and high achieving, that was a very um, freeing concept to grasp but it's a struggle to constantly be reminded of how limited I am yeah right. like, yeah no I, I would imagine so <laughs> yeah. yeah I think that would be challenging for me myself as well even today with my own children I'm like why uh -huh. <laughs> like, I know things <laughs> it's a constant surrendering that I, right. must, be, I must do yeah that's so funny okay <laughs> sometimes okay. I'm like god I think I surrendered enough I have yeah. no ego left and god's like nope there's more keep oh, surrendering <laughs> like yep here it is yeah <laughs> But what I love is witnessing how people change mm. and kind of connected to what is challenging for me is knowing that I am not the one creating that change, but seeing that whether it's their faith or God leading that change, or are these people kind of owning their lives now rather than being passive, reactive, uh, reactive to it, they are proactive agents who are creating lives that they want to live you know it's a very powerful thing to witness and it's so, very inspiring mm -hmm. yeah no absolutely I sorry something kind of triggered as you were talking mm -hmm. um, so ultimately really you're just giving your clients the tools mm -hmm. right absolutely. that they need to kind of healthily get through not get through but good live their lives mm -hmm, mm -hmm. okay yeah. that sounds amazing <laughs> everyone go to pastoral counseling please <laughs> the, the secret that no one seems to kind of know is that we have the tools within us mm. it's a matter of dusting out all the um bad set of patterns that we have used that prevent us from using those tools because every single one of us inside has this kind of desire for growth and wanting to be better and healthier. And yeah, um, there's even a theory of if you just get out of the way, 
people will just blossom (laughs) if we get rid of our defenses Mm -hmm. and um, stop trying to control everything then what naturally happens is we grow so what are these kind of roadblocks that we may have to remove and get out of the way then it naturally happens i think god created all of us to naturally heal and grow and transform i mean look at nature right like a garden sure we can pull out the weeds but really what are we actually doing to make the flowers grow Mm. it's natural yeah that That's kind of so how it works with beautiful, our hearts. Jenny. I'm not, that was, <laughs> oh, gosh, you're so great. <laughs> no, uh, oh, I mean, I, I know I sound like kind of sarcastic, but I'm being completely genuine right now. Um, yeah. <laughs> man, thank you. I, you know, I just, um, I really loved our time together today. Mm. Thank you so much for your rawness and your um, transparency um, with my questioning today. Mm. And um, hey, guys, if you're listening right now and you have interest in the career in pastoral ca- uh, counseling, um, feel free re- to reach out to me. Um, Jenny's as she mentioned, she's she's a pretty busy person, but I feel like I feel like, you know, uh, with the shortage of Asian American ca- counselors in general, sh- she would make space. Uh, am I am I wrong to say that, Jenny? Sorry no. to put that on you. No, of course not. I would be happy. Yeah. To answer um, that- questions or uh-huh, anything that comes up. That's great. Yeah. So guys, you heard it here. Please feel free to reach out, <laughs> DM me or email me at podcastwigu at gmail.com. And um, I can get you connected. Um, Jenny, thank you so much again. It was an honor. Thank you so much, Blair. I also want to say that in preparation for our time, I had this amazing time of looking back on how I've gotten here in my life. And mm-hmm. so because of this interview, I feel like I had this opportunity to reevaluate my midlife because I'm pretty old. (laughs) So (laughs) like half my life, I'm like, wow. And to see how things came together and ended up where I am. And most of it we didn't talk about. So the interview doesn't even matter. I am just thankful for this process. Oh man, I'm sorry. What didn't I cover? I want to hear (laughs) maybe in a different time (laughs) but yeah it's just a beautiful opportunity for me to realize even personal pain communal pain Mm. can lead to empowerment I think that's the theme that I kind of found as I was preparing for our time together yeah pain doesn't have to be something we react to Mm. it can be a powerful tool to help us bring change Mm-hmm. Wow. Thank you for that. And thank you for t- uh, sharing with me. I'm really um, encouraged by that too, because, you know, for, for me personally, this is just a platform to, mm-hmm. uh, yes, inform people about career opportunities and what they can mm-hmm. do with their lives and how they can be purposeful and how God created them with a purpose. And, um, you know, my hope is to just provide a resource for people to mm-hmm kind of um exercise you know that that process of trying to figure it out um but also it's been such a joy for for me to hear stories like you just what you just said you know for people to realize um there was a process and everything is in god's plan you know and um, nothing is wasted yeah i say all the time nothing that we go through is a waste 
-hmm. even the pain even the pain yes and I Mm -hmm. um man I mean right now I'm just like in total (laughs) like man there's there probably is so much pain I need to address Mm -hmm. um but just don't because who likes pain but Mm-hmm. That's for another podcast, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we've just nearly scratched the surface. <laughs> yes, yes. All right. Well, thank you again. And um, until next time, guys. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye.